Welcome to the Dark Side of the Full Moon podcast. I'm Jennifer Silliman, and this show is continuing the conversations started in the award-winning first-ever documentary film about maternal mental health. My journey as an advocate began through the power of storytelling. With this podcast, I hope to create a community of women and professionals sharing their own powerful narratives to let others know they're not alone and help is out there. Keep in mind that some of the stories you will hear may be triggering, but it's important they be told. This podcast is not a replacement for professional help from a licensed medical provider. If you or someone you know is suffering due to a maternal mental health condition, please contact your medical provider or call or text message the Postpartum Support International Helpline at 1-800-944-4773. Now let's continue the conversation. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Dark Side of the Full Moon podcast. I am here today with Jennifer Norris Hale. She lives in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and she's going to be sharing her story with us. She's also done a TED Talk, so I'm going to put a link to that in the uh, notes for this podcast episode. Welcome, Jennifer. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm I'm a little frazzled just because... <laughs> crazy morning, which will not make it into the podcast. Um, but I'm really excited that, um, you reached out and that you're here and, um, these stories are so important to be told. So I am going to let you start your story wherever you feel comfortable. And, um, I'll probably jump in here or there to ask some questions, but other than that, this, the stage is yours. Right. Well, thank you very much. Um, so yeah, I just, I kind of, start to where I am and jump to where I've been and maybe waddle all the way. Sounds perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Um, So I am currently, I live in Fort Wayne. Uh, I I have four boys now. So my story starts with my first son, but I have four boys, um, 11, eight, uh, two. (laughs) I always forget his age because he's uh, going on like 30. (laughs) And then... (laughs) And then uh, a four-month-old. So I'm very, um, very busy, uh, very in the thick of things right now. Um, and I never would have thought that, you know, uh, let's say 12, 15 years ago that I'd be sitting back in Fort Wayne um, talking about my four kids because, you know, uh, around 2010, 2015, no, sorry, 2005, um, I moved out to New York. And so I took that total uh, Midwestern girl, moved her to New York City. Um, I studied apparel merchandising. That was really what I wanted to travel. I wanted to just be ingrained in all, all the things. Um, and so I, I went out to New York. Um, I enjoyed it for a, a <laughs> I enjoyed it a lot <laughs> uh, for the first few years. Although it was hard, there was always a piece of me that wanted to go back home. And I think that's really important to kind of like with this whole story, uh, because it's something that I felt very much like this is this is my forever, you know, like, did I make a mistake? Am I gonna, this is gonna be the rest of my life, that sort of thing. So from the get-go, I loved it, but I was also very torn. Um and um, fast forward a few years while I'm living there, career, traveling, it's, it was really nice, uh, really good, um, fell in love, um, and I never thought that I was going to be a mom, I, that was not my destiny in life, <laughs> that was not my path, 
Um, my sister, you know, compared to my sister who was a teacher and just this really warm, you know, person, I was more career oriented and, you know, structured and that sort of thing. Um, so I, but I fell in love and I uh, got pregnant and had, had a little boy and that's kind of where that journey starts. So um, prior to, you know, I kind of take what I know now and kind of interweave it into that story as well. Because looking back, um, I was already struggling with anxiety. Um, I was struggling with this, okay, well, now I'm pregnant and I have a, a supportive, a, a good partner. Um, where am I, where's this all going to go? I'm just scared out of my mind, but my ego was so big. <laughs> my denial was so strong that I just, <laughs> you know, just powered through it. Like I just hushed everything away. It'll work itself out. That's usually my um, MO of, of all things. <laughs> um, so, so I went into the pregnancy internally, like scared out of my mind, but like externally, like this is gonna, I'm in a good spot. Um, I have, I have everything that I need. I'm going to be a great mom. We're going to go into, you know, Brooklyn and we're going to take the stroller and go shopping. And, you know, <laughs> I can visualize that. Like I can uh -huh. totally, I can totally see that. Yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. and to I totally had it. Like that was, I was just, it was just going to be awesome. And, uh, <laughs> um, I, I was about into my third trimester. Um, and I, at the last minute I brought in a doula and she was, she was very much like, have the birth that you want. And, you know, if you're not comfortable with your, your OB, then find a midwife and that sort of thing. So I was highly uneducated on that, those conversations and that sort of thing. Um, I wasn't necessarily comfortable with my OB, but in hindsight, that's probably would have been the safest place for me, knowing that at the end, it became very high risk. So it would have been a, it would have been better that way. Um, but again, 2010, uh, Brooklyn, <laughs> we're talking very natural <laughs> vibe going on. So I wanted to have a natural birth and, and all that sort of stuff. So um, my, uh, I switched doctors um, in my third trimester. Um, I went to a, mid, a midwife clinic um, and I had my doula and my midwives and um, I, I hundred percent, I do a lot of ad, advocacy work now. I do not want my story or my journey to, um, impact anyone's decision to go with a doula or a midwife, because I wholeheartedly support and advocate for that. And, you know, those journeys, um, it's just, unfortunately for me, it wasn't the right fit at the right time. Um, so, uh, just that little, little um, caveat, I guess. Um, so third trimester, uh, everything seems to be healthy. Blood platelets are a little low, but we'll be watching that. It's, um, you know, July, uh, it's a New York heat wave in July. So everyone thinks that my swelling is due to walking in the heat and drink more water and do, do all that. And I have pain in my side and, oh, it's just from walking, just keep walking. Um, so at 40 weeks, I went into the hospital. Um, I had, I had, um, chest pain and it was not, it was not, uh, acid reflux. It was like, it was pretty intense. 
And so um, I went to the ER and uh, they gave me, they thought 40 weeks, she's having acid reflux. They gave me that really powerful acid reflux and medicine and it went away. Um, and I was almost released in, after this. And um, somebody, the midwife, actually one of my midwives who was there at the hospital uh, requested that my labs be taken. And so um, the last minute, like right before they released me, she's like, why don't we just check your labs? <laughs> and um, sure enough, I had um, preeclampsia and health syndrome. So I was just off the charts, like baby needed to get out. Um, and they immediately started an induction um, and that saved my life. I mean, I, I don't know what could have happened at that point uh, if I had left, but so I went through an 18 hour induction um, at that point, for me, my doula never came uh, because I never, I never dilated. So like I, I, my, I didn't, I didn't progress. I don't like saying that, but I honestly believe I was so anxious and everything that I just couldn't let my body do what it's supposed to do. Um, and so we went 18 hours um, trying to work through this and it, it just didn't happen and falling blood platelets and everything. Um, so they, they called an emergency C-section. And I remember when an OB, it wasn't the OB I was seeing, but an OB walked in and he was just, how did it get this far? <laughs> like, it's just so, he was not, he was not happy at the time. And my mom, my parents, <clears throat> excuse me, they drove, um, I was in New York at the time. They drove all the way from Fort Wayne and picked up my sister in Cleveland and made it to New York, like just in the, in the nick of time, um, for my, for everything to start kind of, you know, going down, going downhill, I guess. Um, so I had this C-section, um, that wasn't what I anticipated. In fact, um, I was told not to think about having a C-section so you can visualize natural birth. Again, there's a purpose, there's an intention for that. Um, it just wasn't part of my story. So, um, I don't knock any of that, but, it, but for women who do visualize that and end up with a C-section, it can be so heartbreaking. Um, and you know, you've heard so many stories. We're in this, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, we're in this perinatal mental health community. Um, it's just, it's, you know, we have to normalize, normalize that. Um, and feel free to jump in anytime. I'm just no, I, I, yeah, well, I agree a hundred percent. Um, there has to be some sort of normalizing, um, of experiences because they are so different. Um, and yeah, I, and I always make sure, and you have already said it that, you know, everyone should make their own choice. You know, none of these stories should, you know, and I don't think they do. I think people make their own, I think these stories are important to be told, but I think ultimately people, you know, do make their, you know, the best decision for them and for their family. Um, but yeah, I'm a big believer um, that birth plans can be extremely dangerous in the sense of emotional health. Um, they just, uh, and somebody told me, and I cannot remember the word right now, and it's going to drive me crazy. They had a different word for it. It wasn't a birth plan. It was a birth preparation. It was something else birth. It was something else. And I can't remember the term right now, but I, I will find it, uh, by the time I produce this. Um, 
but it was just a term that made more sense because it had flexibility to it. And I think what happens is people get these birth plans and in them, when you're told to visualize the birth plan, basically like meditate on it, you end up dreaming about it. I mean, it is like, and when one thing doesn't, is not falling in line with exactly what you visualize, it can throw you into a complete tizzy, especially if you're someone who already has anxiety. I don't know many people that don't already have anxiety or don't develop anxiety when they're pregnant, because we all, (laughs) we don't know what to expect. And I think there's always some level of anxiety, even if it's not being treated or Mm -hmm. doesn't, is not bad enough to need to be treated. Um, and the, and I, and I, you're right. I've heard millions of stories where moms just fall apart because the birth plan didn't go or the breastfeeding plan didn't happen or the, you know, I don't have enough energy to make my baby's own food right now. And, you know, there's just so many things that I think a lot of moms would love to do, but for whatever reason, it doesn't happen. And we have to be okay with that. I mean, if parenthood and motherhood teaches us anything, we need to be flexible (laughs) because (laughs) when when kids come into the mix, then, you know, it's like (sighs) pregnancy is one thing and birth is one thing. And then kids are like a whole other thing. Like you, you have all these plans to like, maybe it's to homeschool or it's to, you know, whatever. And it's just like, you know, you have to be flexible because it doesn't always happen. And it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think, yeah, it's kids. I mean, it's kids change everything. Like it's such a silly statement and you really just, but you don't understand it until it happens, you know? Um, and it just for a lot of people, And I think, well, there's a lot of, I'll I'll get back to my story in a second too, but I I also think that um, like as a community, we don't support mothers enough to understand how how our life changes and we don't respect motherhood enough to support mothers through that change. It's like motherhood isn't overnight. Motherhood is a journey and we can't expect moms six weeks, three months, one year to be like back in the game. And if you are, if it's, if you're in it, like beautiful, like that's wonderful. But I think people need to understand that the general majority, um, have to grow through it, you know? So, um, being there as a community to support mothers, like, it's just, I don't know why it's so hard. I know. (laughs) I don't know why it's another conversation. I don't know. It's a definitely (laughs) from the conversations that I've had, it is very cultural. It is a cultural thing in the United States. It is not something that is very common in other other countries. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and to change an entire culture and society around motherhood will take eons and we will not see it in our lifetime. Our kids will not see it in their lifetime. Um, but I think there's a movement towards it. I think people are becoming more aware that this is very damaging to family units. Definitely. I think we kind of took the pendulum on one side and going back to the other. And I think, you know, that there is some form of balance or moderation that can be supported. Anyway, that's a whole nother conversation. So, yeah. So, so I think you, you ended where you were having your C-section, your doctor, your OB is ticked off because it has gone <laughs> this far and doesn't understand how it's gotten so bad. So what, mm-hmm. ha- so how did your C-section go? C-section was, C-section was good. Um, like it went well. Um, I think I was pretty, I think if you're not prepared for a C-section, it can be traumatizing to some level. If you're not prepared for any type of medical (laughs) uh, surgery, surgery, you know, it can be something that you need to be prepared for. But 
Um, the staff was great. Overall, it went well. Um, I started to recover. Um, baby, so my son was born five pounds, 10 ounces, and that's a 40 week baby. So that's lower on the, on the scale. And that was again, as a result of my preeclampsia. And it was again, something I was like, Hey, my belly is really small. You know, like, I feel like, Oh, he's fine. You know, and you don't know. So whatever, I can just look back and identify all the things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, uh, I was in recovery room. Um, they took him to the nursery. So that, so he was the first one and the only child that I never had in recovery with me. Um, and that was, I believe, as I started to actually piece things back together, um, he was having more problems um, and went and went into the nursery at that time, like low blood sugar. They had to like monitor him a little bit closer. Um, but I wasn't really to to what to my recollection aware of that. So. I just remember being in recovery for three hours and then they took me to my room and just like, I was just demanding to see the baby. So he was born at like seven in the morning and I didn't even get to see or hold him until, um, afternoon, like that was afternoon. And, you know, plenty of women go days and hours, you know, without holding their baby. Um, so it was just, again, another unexpected, like, why do I have to demand to hold my (laughs) baby? Um, so he was having some, some level of of complications again with the blood sugar and that sort of thing. Um, he ended up staying in the NICU, uh, just one day, um, until we could get that up. But one of the things I talk about in my Ted talk is how, um, uh, one of the nurses, it was, it was before my son went to the NICU and I was holding him and he was crying and, uh, she was older. She was just kind of brat, brush, brat, brass. That's good. Yeah, brass. Yeah. No, no, no. You're so cute. Got it. (laughs) An older nurse who, I have my own older nurse story from the NICU, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, But she, he was crying. And so I started to undress him. I thought maybe I'd hold him or maybe he was hot. And I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on. Um, and she called down to the nursery and again, he's been having issues and I am recovering from C-section and whatever, but she said, and I heard her say the mother's not fit to have the baby in the room. And like those words still, like they still give me chills to this day. So I don't think that she had any negative intention. I don't, I just think it was the words that she chose to use. And those just stuck with me because I was already internally like not ready to do this and so you hear those those words like outside of you and you're like okay well what am I doing wrong you know and so so out of the gate so I'm going to flash forward or fast forward a little bit um uh we had I had some difficulty um from that um I had difficulty breastfeeding um I had difficulty uh uh, processing the whole birth. Um, I didn't realize that you had to grieve. Um, you know, I, I had to grieve that natural birth and that birth that I visualized. Um, that was just something that I never, you never, you know, when I was visualizing myself shopping with my stroller in Brooklyn, <laughs> you know, I never thought that I'd have to truly grieve, uh, an experience. And I never, you know, you weren't really prepared to do that. Um, and I was also, you know, by myself relatively, I had my, again, my partner. Um, 
who was doing everything that he could, but I was very much inside with my feelings. Um, so there was a lot to process. And um, when it was time for me to come back to work, I went in full speed because a lot of times it's like, I'm good at this. <laughs> I love what I'm doing. Um, you get rewarded, you know, newborns aren't very rewarding. <laughs> <laughs> no, they are not. They are only takers. They are yeah. not givers for no. sure. Yeah. Um, but they, so we, uh, so, so I dove into work and, you know, even at that time I was seeing a, a therapist and I don't recall her ever talking about postpartum depression or anxiety and, um, and she may very well have, we did talk about the trauma of the C-section and we, we did talk about those sort of things, but I was very good at hiding, you know, as we become, you know, mm-hmm. we, once we've lived with it our, most of our lives, we become very good at hiding it from, even from ourselves. <laughs> oh, yeah, very true. Very true. <laughs> um, so, so just, uh, you know, a few times I broke, I had uh, two panic attacks and on the second one, um, they were actually called to my house. Uh, We called an ambulance to the house just because I didn't know what was going on. Um, And the, I was walking to the ambulance and the, the woman, um, the paramedic said, you know, she's like, what's going on? And it was the first, well, it was like one of the handful of times they actually started to break down. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. How do we do this? And this was, my son was a year and almost, he was, that was 2012. So he was almost two years old at this point. So I had been struggling for a long time. Um, and she was like, as moms, um, we can't do everything. You need to take care of yourself. And I really feel like that was the first person who told me you need to take care of yourself or at least the first time I heard it, you know? Um, and that was the last time that I had, uh, a panic attack. That's actually the last time that I've ever had a panic attack. Um, I have a lot of anxiety, but not to, not to that level. Um, but I, I think that, and I kind of, you know, start from there. It's like, there's so much emphasis on, on the beauty of birthing. And then there is, there's so much beauty to it. Um, but, you know, we need to teach moms um, what self-care looks like, what asking for help looks like, um, what saying, what vocalizing, you know, I'm not okay like how can we help teach them to do that? And I think that's how I shared my story because I just, for the pure reason of wanting somebody to be like, okay, I can identify with this. Like that, that was it. I want somebody to give someone the words that maybe they don't have at the time or the words that they are searching for on their own journey um, so that they can get help too. And they don't have to have two panic attacks and wait a year and a half and really just kind of, to do this and wait for an EMT to say the right <laughs> yeah. thing. I mean, right. but yeah. what's so crazy is that there are so many stories like that, like yeah. of just like the random person who just says the right thing at the right time. And it's like, it opens the doors for treatment for, you know, never having a panic attack again, because this <laughs> one person said yeah. this to me, who's mm-hmm. not even, who was like a stranger, a complete yeah. stranger. Yeah. And so it can make a big difference. That's why I always tell people, well, because I'm in this line of work, if I see a mom with a newborn or I see a woman who's pregnant, you best believe that I'm going <laughs> up to them and asking them questions. They are probably like, what is this lady talking about? But, you know, nine times out of 10, a mom will say, oh my gosh, yes, I don't feel like this has been really difficult. 
-hmm. then just have a phone number or have a resource to give them because that's all it takes is someone to genuinely hear you and listen and validate what you're Mm -hmm. saying and not just saying, oh, you're a new mom. That's what happens. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, like, Mm -hmm. no, it's not, it's not what happens. Like it's, you know, and yes, it is. It's a very popular way of feeling, but it's not good. And it's, and it can be very damaging. Um, as you know, and as all of us know that I've, you know, gone through these experiences that it's can be extremely traumatizing and people just don't realize that, um, getting back to C-section zone, I heard that, I don't think I must've read it somewhere where somebody said a C-section is the only major surgery where they literally take out organs to get your baby out where they make you stand up within 24 hours of having that surgery. No other surgery do they make you do that. And I wonder why, like, I wonder why a mom just can't rest for more than 12 to 24 hours, just bring the baby to me or whatever it is. But they, I just, I'll never forget that nurse saying, okay, time to get up. Let's get up. And I'm like, what? Like, like, okay, you know, start moving. You know, yeah. I'm catheterized, which I didn't even know that was a thing. I got blood pressure cuffs on my legs. What the hell is yeah. that? Like, yeah. they don't tell you any of that stuff. <laughs> None of it. I was well, so angry. I'm still very angry about it. And I'm like 12 years out and I am just pissed that like no one told me about that. I mean, I rem- I had a planned C-section. Yeah. So I didn't visualize any sort of birthing experience because it wasn't happening for me. Mm-hmm. I had um, placenta privia. So I knew I, I was not going to be able to have a, a vaginal birth. So I remember going on the hospital tour and then making such a hoo-ha about the delivery rooms and labor rooms. And I go, um, I literally said, I'm not going to be experiencing that. Can you show me what the operating room looks like? And they looked oh. at me like I had 15 heads. And I was like... Mm-hmm. Well, I kind of want to know, like, I've never been in the operating room before. Like, I've never had major surgery. I've had my wisdom teeth out. Like, that's it. Like, I don't know what this looks like. And I'm like, sorry, ma'am, you know, for whatever reason, we, we, that's not part of the hospital tour. I'm like, oh, well, of course it's not, but really? it's frustrating. I mean, it can be very scary. It's very, I mean, very scary. I vividly remember every single part of my C-section. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and that it's just, I mean, if you're not a a medically (laughs) trained person, it's a lot to take in, you know, I mean, I had, so I had my first one, um, you know, emergency C-section second was planned. And I can tell you, like, after my second one, I felt like a beast. I felt like I conquered motherhood. (laughs) Like I did it. Like I can just take down anybody. And it was just like the best feeling in the world. My son was like, I had my son in recovery and he was staring at me with his big brown eyes. And like, I just, it was like top of the world. And so, and so you can have those experiences is is what I was trying to get at. And then same thing with my third, Um, I didn't feel so much like a beast, but I did it. (laughs) Right. And that was another cesarean. Yeah. That was another one. Um, And then we come to my fourth uh, sweet little man um, and he uh, he, everything was healthy. I'm 39 years old. So I'm kind of in the, in the higher end range, healthy pregnancy, healthy baby. 
but when we had the cesarean, he um, took in uh, breathing water. Yeah, yeah, aspirated. And like, nobody prepares you for that either. Like that was, I thought I had, you know, hit all of these kind of like angles of motherhood. I was not prepared for NICU for a week. And yep. same thing happened to my daughter, NICU for 10 days. Another yeah. thing they don't show you on the hospital mm-hmm. tour is if your baby, you know, needs m- more attention than just in the nursery, what does yeah. the NICU look like? That was the scariest damn experience of my life walking into that NICU. Never yeah. in my life have I been more scared or of washing my hands and making sure I had no germs on them because basically they say if you have a germ on your hand, it could kill your baby. I mean, it's basically what they should say. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the posters <laughs> and the, and the, I mean, you want to talk about anxiety. I mean, yeah. you know, and beeping yeah. and little baby, like it's just, it's- that is an experience that, also, I remember very vividly that they, no one talks about, Yeah, no one, no one yeah. talks about. And there, I mean, you can go into, I'm, and I'm sure there's babies that they know they're going to be in NICU and you can prepare for that, but I don't, you can't ever prepare for it, but you can be educated on it, I guess. Um, and then, but there's the, I was not prepared for, for him to go into NICU. And I remember they, they brought him into my recovery room and they're like, we're going to take him up to NICU. And so I'm thinking, okay, one to two days or whatever. And I'm like, how long will he be there? They're like, it'll probably be a week to two weeks. And I was like, like my heart just broke. And I was like, can I at least hold him before he goes? And I'm like crying and they like, let mama hold him, you know, and I got to hold him for a little bit, but like, it's just, you never, and I don't think that, I think, I don't know. There wasn't, there, there were so many moments in the, that, that NICU stay that, you're not really prepared for. And I think that I really, 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 I reached out, you know, at this point in my motherhood, I've really leaned into community um, and just been very grateful for that. And so I kind of, I just reached out to, to mothers who had been through this before. And I can't even tell you how beautiful those relationships are and helped because, um, you know, it's, it's hard watching your baby cry when you can't comfort them you know, or, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said about it. So instantly me, like, you know, a day I'm still on my, you know, medical high, I guess, I don't know what you call right. it. So yeah. <laughs> pain relievers or whatever, the NICU nurses were wonderful, but I was like, um, oh, it must be fun to work at, with babies all day. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> this is a dream. <laughs> you right. Know? right. <laughs> Every little thing they do is so like, it's so important that they do with the baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. So anyways, um, yeah, but it's it just at the end of the day, what I go back to and what I try and emphasize with everyone that I talk to is try to lean into that support. Um, we were never intended to do this alone. Like motherhood was never supposed to be a journey where you're alone. And so if you're feeling like that, try, try, try to reach out to somebody because you will be totally surprised at who will be waiting for you, you know? Um, so never, ever, ever, ever feel like you're on, like text me. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you'll get the text messages yeah. for sure. Um, no, it's so true. And yeah, that's support in really any way that you can get it. I mean, whether it's, you know, a virtual group or it's reaching out to a friend or family member, um, or even to me or Jennifer that's on here. I mean, I still get messages um, and, and especially like on social media 
um, moms reaching out and just like kind of sharing their story and, and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, it, it really can make a huge difference when somebody validates your feelings and, and you know that you're not alone in this whole thing because it can be so isolating it can be extremely isolating despite how many women become moms every single day it is still a very isolating experience if you don't have those people around you um so I know your last son is four months old so were you ever so what what did your treatment look like did you were you did you see therapists were you medicated what I mean what what did that look like, or did you have any treatment or did it kind of just dissipate? Um, at one point, um, at one point after I, after I had my first son and went through all of that, um, I started medication and then, you know, first time I was medication, I start to feel good. So I'm like, Oh, I'm better now. And then I stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't under the medical guidelines of your doctors. Don't stop your medicine. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, uh, and then after I had my second son, so I started to feel anxiety again. I started to feel that panic come up, um, with the newborn and I had a three-year-old and it was just like chaos all the time. No one tells you about, <laughs> let's talk about that. <laughs> oh, but that's like a whole other podcast, episode. <laughs> but it's so um, true. So true. Um, but they, but I started to get that anxiety again and I, and I immediately, reached out to um, my psychiatrist to start getting on medication and kind of start to bring it back down. So um, medication is a part of my life. I've, um, I respectful, I'm respectful of everyone's choice during pregnancy or afterwards. Um, I took medican, medication throughout. Um, with this last one, I also, I kind of increased um, the, the medicine a little bit just because I didn't wanna have it fall out at the end. So. Um, yeah, it's just, it's been a part of my life. Um, and it's been very helpful. So I'm always supportive of it. And I have a therapist and and a great group of of friends who kind of, you know, that texting group that has kind of developed from COVID. (laughs) We We all have one of those. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we just all just, you know, complain or laugh or whatever it is. Um, but I, I think that that's been the biggest part of that journey is, is being okay. Cause again, I was very much against medicine at the time and I don't, I'm not anymore. <laughs> yeah. So when did you make it back to Fort Wayne, Indiana? Oh, that's a good question. Um, 2015. So I went through, uh, um, we went through the postpartum depression. I ended up uh, marrying, uh, the father of my, my first two boys. Um, but I real I was just on the struggle bus for so long with this internalized, I don't want to raise my family here, but I'm here and want to be home. And 2015, I just completely broke um, down and I was like moving home. Like this is the, the angle I'm going at now um, and moved home with my two boys and co-parented with their dad from, you know, long distance. And, and it was not easy, not easy decision not easy transition. Um, but I think it was one of the hardest and best decisions that I had to make. Um, so my boys are doing great, um, good relation, great relationship with their dad. And I've since been remarried and have two other kiddos now. So 
just a, a wild ride, Jennifer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't sure if I had missed when you said that, but I was curious <laughs> to know, um, cause it's so, they're so polar opposite, um, you know, Fort Wayne, Indiana and New York. So I was just curious. So when, when you went, have you been back to New York to visit? Yeah, we go. So I pick uh, the older boys go there at least once or twice a year. So it's literally like the best of both both worlds. Like I love to go there um, and drop them off and hang out for a few days. And so it's 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 a, a good setup. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That's yeah. wonderful. Um, well, it's a, it's an incredible story. I mean, I and you touched on so many points that I think are so important. Um, especially with having that village. I think that's a, that's a common theme from all of my interviews is to really make sure that you have those people, even if they're strangers that are just virtual. <laughs> I mean, you have to have somebody. Um, and, and I've, I've heard a lot of success stories um, of people that, you know, really don't have in-person contact, especially now with COVID, that's a whole other thing, but just that virtual support system can be so helpful, you know, especially in the middle of the night when you're up and you jump on Facebook and you're like, who is there? You know, (laughs) somebody's there in a different time zone, you know, that you can connect with because that's also a very lonely time in the middle of the night. Um, when you know, everyone else is sleeping and and you're awake with a, with a crying, hungry child. Um, one of the things, and, and I'll kind of mention this real quick, real quick. I apologize. And I'll stop talking. Don't apologize. (laughs) It's totally fine. Um, but one of the, when my son was in NICU, one of the moms, um, who I spoke to or I just kind of met and just developed a, a relationship with. I said, how do you get through the hard times? Like there's hard nights, there's hard days. And when your baby is in NICU for, um, as I said, how do you get through those? And she said, hold on. (laughs) She said that she would walk up and down the aisles and pray for the babies when she, her son was having a hard night. And so that was something that stuck with me. And so even sometimes, um, when I'm having a hard night with my baby at home, I think about other moms who are sitting in that exact (laughs) in their bed, in their chair, having the exact same night that I'm having and just kind of like pouring out that I hope that they get some peace tonight too, you know? So that, that piece has been a really big part of my healing too, is like, okay, how can I help support other moms? You know? So, and and no, it's great. And sometimes just supporting them in a prayer, it makes, I mean, yeah, I, I haven't heard that. So thank you for sharing that. That's, um, that's really good advice for, for moms, you know, to be able to know that they can make a difference, even if it's in prayer in their own house, just thinking about other moms. Cause I guarantee you there is at least a million moms that are going through the same <laughs> thing you are at that very second minute at night. Um, it's definitely happening. Yeah, so this reminds you you're not alone. So. Yeah, never, ever, ever, ever. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, awesome. Well, Jennifer, thank you for sharing your story. I so appreciate you. And um, and yeah, it's incredible. It'll change lives. It's what storytelling does. So I'm I'm excited that you wanted to share it today. Absolutely. Well, thank you for the opportunity. And also thank you for what you're doing. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you.